This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, we have a very special interview we conducted a few months back with the Pulitzer Prize-winning national correspondent from the Los Angeles Times, Stephen Braun. The subject was Victor Boot, the man arrested in Thailand a few days ago. Stephen Braun, along with author Douglas Farah, contributed to a book about Victor Boot titled Merchant of Death, Money, Guns, Planes, and the Man Who Makes War Possible. We found this to be a most compelling interview with Stephen Braun, one we followed up with a subsequent interview on the same subject with Lowell Bergman from the UC Berkeley School of Journalism, better known perhaps as the former producer for CBS's 60 Minutes. A few days back, writing the New York Times, David Johnston and Seth Maidans, and we don't think it is the same David Johnston we interviewed a few weeks back in conjunction with Free Lunch, wrote, A Russian businessman dubbed the Merchant of Death, who is regarded by the United States as one of the world's most notorious arms dealers, was arrested Thursday in Thailand as part of an American-led sting operation. He was promptly charged in the United States with conspiracy for allegedly attempting to smuggle missiles and rocket launchers to rebels in Colombia. The businessman, Victor Boot, 41, is suspected of supplying weapons to the Taliban and al-Qaeda and of pouring huge arms shipments into African civil wars with his own private air fleet. Not giving such prominent mention uh, in the article in the Times was the fact that Victor Boot has also supplied American troops in the Middle East. Anyway, Victor Boot is a man we all should know a little bit more about, and if you keep listening by the end of the hour, you will most assuredly know a great deal more about him. Stay tuned. Let us begin this program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is March 13th. It was on March 13th in 1519 the Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés lands on the coast of Yucatán, befriends the local Indians, and makes plans to conquer the Aztec Empire. On this date in 1836, in Texas's war for independence from Mexico, American General Sam Houston begins a series of strategic retreats in order to buy time to train his poorly prepared army. And in follow-up of our brief discussion about... Uh, what happened a week earlier in 1836, the fall of the Alamo, we're going to try and get to our friend Victor Contreras a little bit later in the broadcast. If we can't get to Victor today, we'll bring him on uh, soon. On this date in 1868, for the first time in U.S. history, the impeachment trial of an American president, in this case the 17th president, Andrew Johnson, began in the Senate. Johnson was reviled for his post-Civil War Reconstruction policies and was charged with violating the Tenure of Office Act, which was a very trumped-up effort by Congress to prevent the president from being able to fire someone in his own cabinet. Johnson escaped impeachment by one vote, a story later told very well in John F. Kennedy's Profiles in Courage, a book which some suspect was actually written by his speechwriter, Ted Sorensen. In fact, I hate to say it, but it was almost certainly written by his speechwriter, Ted Sorensen. Great book, though, and certainly deserved a Pulitzer Prize for somebody. It was on March 13th in 1882 that the English inventor Edward Moybridge demonstrates his zoopraxiscope at the Royal Institution 
to an audience including the Prince of Wales and Alfred Lord Tennyson. The device was a forerunner of the movie projector, and his pioneering film clearly showed that a galloping horse lifted all four hooves off the ground at the same time. But uh, my favorite of all the events on this day took place in 1781, when the German-born British astronomer William Herschel discovered the planet Uranus, the seventh planet from the sun and the first to be discovered by a telescope. And first off, yes, it is correctly pronounced Uranus. The discovery of a new planet caused a sensation in scientific circles. A new planet was something no one had even considered. And perhaps most curiously, the planet was actually visible to the naked eye. That is, if you looked at just the right spot at the right time of year. And also from a good observational post. This correspondent has seen it in the Sacramento Valley, but uh, best to go up in the hills. Our joke of the day is as follows. An old man goes to a wizard and asks him if he can remove a curse he's been living with for 40 years. The wizard says, I can try, but you'll have to tell me the exact words used in the curse. The old man says, okay. It was, I now pronounce you man and wife. Our quote of the day comes from the area of film criticism from Ralph Novak, who said, Five nice things to say about Steven Seagal. One, he has very good posture. Two, his ponytail is neatly trimmed. Three, while his acting repertoire is limited, he does a brow furrow Jeremy Irons would kill for. Four, when doing martial arts maneuvers, he does not emit chicken-like sounds as Bruce Lee did. Five, maybe there are only four. And our quip of the day comes from the area of poetry criticism. Said Voltaire about Rousseau's poem, Ode to Posterity, I do not think this poem will reach its destination. Our stat of the day, and I'm a little scared by this one, according to Zogby Interactive, 67% of Americans say traditional journalism, including newspapers and TV, is out of touch with what they want from the news. 48% say the Internet is now their primary source of news and information, up from 40% just one year ago. The truly scary part, 29% say they get most of their information from television. The wiser 11% point to radio, and only 10% list newspapers as their main information source. We on this program remain advocates for newspaper journalism. We could not do this program without the Internet, but neither could we do it without input from newspapers. A long time ago, CBS's William Paley asked that the CBS nightly news broadcast be set into type. It did not fill the front page of the New York Times. In fact, it wasn't even close. I believe that was a 22-minute uh, television broadcast, but nevertheless, you can get a lot of information from a newspaper compared to what comes out on television. I think you, most of you know that. But nevertheless, the Internet, I think, uh, focuses in a direction of what we all want to read about. Sometimes it's good to come across an article on the newspaper that just takes you in a direction you, you know, might not have thought to go. Anyway, that's our two cents today. Let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's go. 
It was a good week a couple weeks back for fat guys after the Florida Marlins held tryouts for a new cheerleading squad called the Manatees, which will consist entirely of overweight but limber men. This week, it turns out, was kind of a bad week for civil discourse after a North Carolina man was arrested for hitting a friend in the head with a baseball bat during an argument over the relative merits of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. Let's hope his passion can be better channeled for the November election. And finally, it was an ugly week this week for the Shark Shield, a device designed to keep sharks away from surfboards by emitting electronic waves after it was reported that in a pre-sales test, one of the devices was eaten by a shark. From the Only in America file, we have the news item that Elliot Spitzer, governor of New York, resigned after it was revealed that he had evidently trafficked with a high-priced prostitute. I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that uh, Elliot Spitzer's downfall had something to do with perhaps this article, which he wrote on February 14th. Let me quote a couple paragraphs. Said Spitzer, Several years ago, state attorneys general and others involved in consumer protection began to notice a marked increase in a range of predatory lending practices by mortgage lenders. Some were misrepresenting the terms of loans, making loans without regard to customers' ability to repay, making loans with deceptive teaser rates that later ballooned astronomically, packing loans with undisclosed charges and fees, or even paying illegal kickbacks. These and other practices we noticed were having a devastating effect on home buyers. In addition, the widespread nature of these practices, if left unchecked, threatened our financial markets. Even though predatory lending was becoming a national problem, the Bush administration looked the other way and did nothing to protect American homeowners. In fact, the government chose instead to align itself with the banks that were victimizing consumers. A little lower, he notes, not only did the administration do nothing to protect consumers, it embarked on an aggressive and unprecedented campaign to prevent states from, from protecting their residents from the very problems which the federal government was turning a blind eye. Anyway, I highly recommend that you read what Elliot Spitzer had to say in this article, which I believe is available on truthout.org. It's our suspicion that uh, Elliot Spitzer's uh, outspokenness perhaps brought his downfall. This is certainly the case with Admiral William Fox Fallon, the U.S. CENTCOM commander who had spoken up several times at congressional hearings and to the press last year to suggest that a military confrontation with Iran would be ill-advised. Apparently his comments in Esquire magazine got him, got him into some hot water with the upper echelon of Bush Cheney. Suggested pundit Josh Marshall, Fallon was too sane for the Bush regime. Wrote Marshall, by all accounts, the point of contention between Fallon and the Bush administration officials centered on three points. One, his belief that the indefinite occupation of Iraq is a disaster for the U.S. military. Two, that diplomacy has a central role in American foreign and national security policy. And that three, War is not a credible policy for the U.S. to pursue in dealing with Iran. The last of these three was believed to be the key issue which led to his resignation. 
And since we're talking politics, and clearly we've swerved in that direction, a little bit of a follow-up on the speculation we had a couple weeks back about uh, Bush and the favorable publicity he was seeking regarding Africa. I'd like to quote from Elam Yuris and Kalgar Dolcek in Turkey's Journal of Turkish Weekly. It's noted that Africans warmly welcomed President Bush during his recent visit to their continent. But the writer said that if they'd known his true goal, they wouldn't have cheered quite so enthusiastically. Bush stressed U.S. support of efforts to fight AIDS and other humanitarian campaigns. But that was just a cover for the real U.S. aim, which was, quote, to establish permanent military bases in sub-Saharan Africa, unquote. The U.S. already has strategic command centers for other parts of the world, CENTCOM for the Middle East, PACOM for the Pacific Ocean, and now at once, AFRICOM for Africa. Why now? Because Africa is one of the last relatively untapped sources of oil, and the U.S. is afraid that China will get to it first. We must look into this, but we suspect that the, uh, the boys over in Turkey may be on to something. All right, how about this item from the Only in America file? Disbarred attorney Aurelia Margarita Taveras is suing Las Vegas casinos for their failure to curb her gambling addiction. Reportedly, the ambitious former lawyer and TV commentator who started going to Atlantic City casinos to relax and soon was getting the high roller treatment, which included her being whisked off to Vegas. But, according to the article by Wayne Perry in the Associated Press, her gambling spun out of control. She said she would go days at a time at the tables, not eating or sleeping, cleaning her teeth with disposable wipes so she didn't have to leave. She says her losses totaled nearly $1 million. Now she's suing Atlantic City and Vegas casinos for $20 million under a racketeering lawsuit in federal court. Ms. Tavares is claiming that they had a duty to notice her compulsive gambling problem and cut her off. They knew I was going for days without eating or sleeping, she said. I would pass out at the tables. They had a duty to take care of me. Nobody in their right mind would gamble for four or five days straight without sleeping. Well, we, we have to agree with that. And we're not sure that anybody in their right mind would then try a lawsuit like this. But then again, this is America. Anything is possible. We'd say this is one more example of her gambling addiction, but it's one that in America might pay off. I don't know. We're pretty sure the line of reasoning, they had a duty to take care of me, is not going to work. And speaking of lawyer misbehavior, we were quite appalled at the article in the Sacramento Bee, March 7th, about uh, flamboyant J. Tony Sarah failing to show up for the sentencing of his client here in Sacramento. Sarah evidently represents attorney Dale Schaefer. Schaefer's wife, physician Marion Molly Fry, is also being prosecuted and face a mandatory minimum five years in prison after a jury last August found them guilty of conspiring to grow and distribute at least 100 marijuana plants at their offices in Cool and their home in Greenwood. This whole fiasco is a story we have not been covering, but uh, we, we must make up for that. This correspondent has some familiarity with the defendants in this case. And I'm here to tell you, these are not criminals. Facing five years in prison for distributing medical marijuana is, is a crime itself. We'll return to this topic.
And speaking of the crime beat, UC Davis apparently made the national news last week when the bomb squad swarmed the campus because what was described as a science-loving freshman evidently had some explosives or potential explosives in his room. I think perhaps the less said about this story, the better, except to note that uh, reportedly, as the day returned to normal after the evacuated students, investigators said they came to realize that the chemicals were not as unstable as originally thought. We presume it was more than baking soda and vinegar, but you know, we don't know. We do like this article from the Sacramento News and Review that it, it isn't just Heather Fargo and Kevin Johnson running for mayor here in Sacramento. There's evidently also a man named Richard Jones who's taken out papers to run. The SNNR said it can't argue with Jones when he said, I'm sick of this city turning into some sort of gangland. But noted that when he follows up with, I'm sick of the way we've taken in all these Asians and Hispanics. <laughs> Noting, of course, that there, there is still plenty of time for Mr. Jones to polish up the talking points for future uh, interviews. Speaking of media mishaps, how is it that, you know, that, uh, that CBS and evidently pay-per-view uh, uh, cable is airing a TV series about a serial killer? But in this case, he's apparently, you know, really at the bottom of it, a good serial killer. He's only killing bad guys. It's apparently actually gotten some good reviews in the B and the Sacramento News and Review. I don't understand it. Oh, and speaking of the mayor's race, we don't want to leave that one too soon. Mayor Fargo promptly launched her campaign by tossing a grenade at Kevin Johnson, accusing him of owing $45,000 in overdue taxes, uh, but then failed utterly to be able to substantiate that. When the Sacramento Bee pressed her to support this claim, the Fargo campaign provided documents late in the day, but they didn't appear to be current, and none appeared to involve Johnson's personal finances. So it does appear that, uh, that Mayor Fargo is running her campaign about as well as she runs the city. We need to take a break here so we can uh, talk about uh, the, the capture of Victor Boot in Thailand. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Stay tuned for our interview with author Stephen Braun. Stephen Braun. 